Our Father in heaven, we do praise you and acknowledge you as our, our creator. We belong to you rightfully. And Lord, we thank you also that you are redeemer and you are our sustainer and you're our hope. And Lord, we look forward to you completing your work of restoration and in building your kingdom. We look forward to when your son returns and when we will be with him and with you for all eternity. Lord, we pray this morning as we listen to your word that you would help us to respond the way you desire for us to respond. Lord, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Why do we sin? It's a sermon topic here this morning, and I'm I'm excited about doing this topic, which may sound weird why I would be excited about talking about sin, but but the reason is that in the Scripture, it's, it's obvious that this is a very, very important topic to God and that He wants us to understand why we sin. It's clear when we look in here because there are many, many passages where God teaches about that. This isn't something that some abstract construct that you theologians build from little pieces here and there. This is actually the topic of many, many passages in the Scripture. In fact, it's one of the very first things that God teaches us in the Bible. My particular edition of the Bible is 1,012 pages long. And God first starts teaching us about why we sin in the middle of page 2. Let that soak in for a minute. My wife's Bible has 190 pages, and her starts on page 3. But <clears throat> obviously in the story, it's the same place. That should be pretty significant. Another thing <clears throat> is that in the Scripture, God over and over explains why it's important for us to understand what's actually going on when we sin. So what we're going to do this morning, uh, as you can see in your sermon outline in the bulletin, um, that we're going to do three things. First thing we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage in Genesis 3 and 4 where God shows us by telling a story, He's going to a true story, He's going to show us why we sin, how that happens. And then second thing, we're going to look at a passage in James where God explains to us why we sin. And then the third thing we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at a passage where God tells us why it's important for us to understand why we sin. Now, if you looked at your bulletin insert um, earlier, you may have about had a heart attack and thought, we're going to be here till 7 o'clock. But almost the entire sermon is going to be the first half of that first point um, because the rest of it grows out of that. Um, the second part we'll do briefly we're just to show that God, in fact, explains to us why we sin. And all we're going to do is introduce that third thing about why God wants us to know that information. We'll just um, simply introduce that. So let's start where God starts. We'll go back to Genesis 3, and we're going to look in a passage where God shows us what happens when people sin. Now, if you look at this, you realize that if this were just a history book, God could have just said, Adam and Eve and Cain sinned, and I kicked them out of the garden, and now they're going to die. But he doesn't do that. As we actually talked about last week, a lot of times when God's giving us history, he gives it to us in the form of a story, just like you were reading a novel, because he wants us to get engaged and, um, and to see what happened. Now, you'll notice also in your outline that when God shows us why we sin, it's kind of broken down into two parts, about sinning in order to get what we want, and there's also sinning because we don't get what we want. I didn't come up with that outline. God did. Um, there's a lot of overlap between those t- two things, but as we're going to see both in the Genesis and in James, God often will focus on one or the other of those. And so that's why the outline looks like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what we'll do first is we'll read in chapter 3 what God shows us about sin. 
as we read the very familiar story about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, I'm not so much going to read it as I'm going to tell the story. If you're wondering what version I'm using, it's just the version that comes out when I just tell the story. So, now, uh, remember, we're jumping in the middle of the story here. Uh, This story does not begin in chapter 3, verse 1. It begins in chapter 1, verse 1. It's very important we know what happened in chapter 1 and 2. God created the world and Adam and Eve and put them there, and He provided, this is important now, He provided them with everything they needed. And He gave them instruction and guidance about the proper and uh, good way to live there. And He also expressed His authority that if they violated His guidance, there was going to be a price to pay. So we need to understand that background now as we come to chapter 3, line 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And he said, Well, any of the trees of the garden we can eat from, but there's just the one in the middle, the fruit from it. We're not to eat it or touch it or we'll die. And Satan said, You won't die. God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like Him. And you'll know good from evil. Well, Eve thought when she saw that the fruit was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and it was desirable to make one wise, well, she took it and ate And she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate some. Well, as soon as they ate, their eyes were open, and they realized they were naked. Now, side note here, in in uh, that's a Hebrew uh, idiom basically for being ashamed. Their eyes were open. They saw they were naked, and they sewed fig fig leaves to make themselves a covering. Well, then they heard God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and they went and they hid themselves. And God said, Adam, where are you? I I heard you in the garden, and uh, I was naked and I was afraid, so I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? Side note here, do you think God knows the answer to that question? (laughs) I think God knows. What we're going to find out is what does Adam say? Did you eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? The woman you gave me, she, she, (laughs) that's right, she gave to me and ate. So he asked the woman, what did you do? And she said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so we know what happened from there. God put some consequences on them for all the parties involved. Their relationship with creation is all messed up. The serpent's going to crawl around in the dirt, get dust in his eyes, and eat dirt all his life. And uh, Eve is going to have painful childbirth, and uh, man's going to have to struggle to now to grow food and there'll be thorns and thistles but also all the relationships are messed up now there's animosity between the serpent and the woman and her seed the human race there's conflict between the husband and wife and most important there's a barrier now between people and God well what does God want us to know from this story now Notice again, God told us this in the form of a story, and there's a lot of dialogue in there. And just like any story that you read, but for sure in narrative, in Old Testament narrative, when there's dialogue, that means slow down, pay attention. God wants us to know, see what's going on, and as dialogue goes on, as people are interacting with each other, between each other and with God, We're finding out what on earth is going on in their head. What are they thinking? Now, also, if you'll notice, there's actually three accounts in here of what happened. There's what the narrator told us happened. 
There's what Adam said happened, and there's what Eve said happened. And let's focus on Eve's account now. Look in verse 13. Find the part of the story where God asked Eve what she did. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, Now look at her response here. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. That's six words. I didn't check the Hebrew. In Hebrew, that's probably about three or four words. What do you think about her account of that? Think back to what the narrator said happened and think about her account here. I'm thinking her account looks kind of short to me. It's a pretty short account of what happened. What did she say? The serpent deceived me. And I ate two things. Well, let's look back at what the narrator told us. Beginning in verse 1, we've got this whole conversation going on that goes down through verse 5, 1 through 5. So we're going we're gonna to come back to that in a minute. But we're going to say, okay, that's her conversation with Satan and Satan deceived her. She alluded to that. But then what's the next thing that happened in Eve's account? In Eve's account, the next thing that happened was I ate. What's the next thing that happens in the narrator's account? Kind of skim down there. The devil's finished talking. There's some stuff going on. And then at the end of verse 6, it says she took from its fruit and ate. It looks to me like in the narrator's account, there's something that happened between Satan talking and her eating. What happened? She was thinking. When God asked her what she did, she left that part out. Why did she leave that part out? She admitted, I mean, she did admit that she ate the fruit, but that's only because she got caught. (laughs) She started out hiding. Why did she not report this part? That's the part she's ashamed of, and she's covering up with her fig leaves, isn't it? What is she thinking? She's She's contemplating that fruit, and she's deciding whether or not it would be good to eat it and whether or not she's going to. Well, why is she trying to decide whether it's good to eat? What had God already said? We might back up and take consider just a moment about as she's thinking about whether or not it's good to eat. God had already told her it wasn't. He'd already told her if she ate it, she'd die. So why is she even thinking about that? Well... She did make reference to her conversation about Satan. But what did she say? Satan deceived me. Well, let's think about deception for just a minute. And let's think about what actually happened in this conversation. Um, I'm going to give just kind of a parable here. Let's say the workmen's Jack and Susie. For those who don't know, they were missionaries with us. that They worked in Cambodia for years. Let's say Jack and Susie make a quick trip to Cambodia for a month, and they're gone. And um, and Russell comes up and says, Hey, David, where are the workmen's today? And I said, Oh, they're up in Oklahoma at the casino gambling for the weekend. And Russell said, Oh, well, that's kind of weird. I, I didn't know where they were. Well, that's one kind of deceit, isn't it? I mean, Russell just doesn't know. But let's picture another scenario here. Let's picture last week... Jack told Russell, Russell, next month, Susie and I are going to be going to Cambodia. All right, so we come in today. The workmen's are gone, and I say, Russell, where's Jack? And Russell says, well, he said he was going to be going to Cambodia this week. And I say, he is not. He and Susie are up in Oklahoma at the casino. He's probably at the blackjack table right now. He just didn't want you to go with him and cash in. 
Well, now Russell's got a decision to make, doesn't he? Because either Jack or I have lied. Which one of us did? See, that's a whole lot different from me just telling Russell something he doesn't have any idea about. Well, Russell wouldn't have too hard a time figuring out which one of us lied in that scenario. But, you know, Jack and I are both men. Neither one of us are perfect. I don't know what Jack's weaknesses are. I don't think gambling's one of them. But one of the people that Eve was, one of the two parties that Eve was needing to decide who was lying, one of them was God. And the part of the story that she left out when she gave her account about eating that apple or eating that, whatever that fruit was, was the fact that in her mind she pondered that and she thought about it and she weighed it in her mind and she chose to decide that God's word was bull and that she was going to do what she wanted to do. And she left that part of the story out. And I think that's often what all of us can identify with is that when we've committed some kind of sin, we want to name some kind of event, something that happened, our circumstances, something somebody told us, and we want to draw a straight line to the thing that we did and want to say, that was inevitable. It just obviously in these circumstances, what else would I do? And God says, well, let's talk about what else you might have done. Um, I warned Kelly Wallace that I was going to use this illustration this morning. Uh, when, I, when Carrie and I normally teach the kids in Sunday school and when I do little parables, I like to put them and their brothers and sisters in there because they think it's funny and they listen. It also helps them identify with it. So I'm picturing this story of we can assume that in the Wallace household that mom's been out running errands and she comes home and she walks into the living room and the first thing that she notices is there's no one around. All of her boys, none of them to be seen. Red flag number one, right? And in the middle of the living room, there's a broken lamp and a baseball and a baseball bat. And she's thinking, what happened? She calls out to the boys, William, where are you? In my room, Mom, doing my homework. Come out here. What happened? Well, Mom, uh... Weston said he wanted to play baseball, and uh, the lamp broke. Well, he left out part of the story, didn't he? I mean, there's something happened between Weston saying he wanted to play baseball and the lamp breaking. Now, I don't know what the household rules are in the Wallace home, but I'm guessing it's not play hardball in the living room. He knows that, and he's just decided instead of saying, well, no, you know mom doesn't want us to do that. They decided to play baseball, and the lamp broke. But whenever we tell our stories, well, we leave all that out. It's just, well, Weston wanted to play ball, and so uh, Weston and Weldon and uh, Wyatt, we all got here to play baseball. And, and I know we shouldn't have, but I just I wanted to so bad, and I decided to, and so we played, and then the lamp broke. We just leave all that out, don't we? It's like, here's the situation. What else could happen? The lamp broke. We do that, don't we? It's kind of funny when you think about our kids playing baseball. But you might be sitting in the living room. <laughs> you might be sitting in the living room with your best friends. And the husband's been caught in adultery. His wife's sitting there sobbing. They're your best friends. And you want to ask the guy, what happened? And he's going to say, well, 
I've just been working with this lady at work and we're good friends and and the lamp broke. You go to pick up your brother at jail. He's, he's in jail with his third DUI. And you want to say, what happened? Man, it just, you know I lost my job. I can't pay my bills. I'm under a lot of pressure. And the lamp broke. I think about things that I've said to my wife. Where the Lord has said, David, you know you'd hurt Carrie a lot less if you beat her with a stick than if you treated her that way. And I want to say, but Lord, you know this, and I just wanted... And the lamp broke. The Lord wants us to look at what happened between the situation we're in and us doing the sin. How did we get there? That's what God wants us to look at. Well, in chapter 3, we see that um, God shows us how we will sin when we want something. Um, uh, when we'll sin in order to try to get what we want. Because we don't believe what God has told us about what's good and what's bad. And there may be something He said is bad. And we will decide that we don't believe what God's told us. And so we are going to sin against God by trying to get it. But in chapter 4, He'll also show us that sometimes we sin simply because we don't get what we want. And how does this happen? Let's contrast the first one, the second one, sinning to get what we want and sinning because we don't get what we want. We've all experienced this. Whether you have children or not, you have been a child and you have seen children where mom goes to the grocery store with little Johnny in tow. And little Johnny wants something off the shelf and mom says, no, we're not going to get that today. So what's little Johnny going to do? He's going to do something to try to get it. He might do something like just simply steal it. He'll do some kind of sin to get it. But suppose his attempts are thwarted and he simply doesn't get it. What's the alternative? Ah! He's going to make you pay a price, isn't he? He'll throw a tantrum, just get in the car and go all the way home like this. Just last week, my daughter sent us a photo of her three-year-old in the back seat getting one of these on a, on a long road trip all the way home. My daughter just put on there, getting real on a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> Children do that, don't they? We certainly never would, would we? I remember when my first child was a year old, sitting in his high chair, throwing a tantrum, throwing green beans on the floor, and my dad was there, and he was just watching, smiling. He said, this is actually easy. What's hard is when they're teenagers and they're still doing that. Or when they're adults. Even adults. We've done it. We've seen people just literally throwing a tantrum because I'm not getting what I want. Or just pouting and mad. In chapter 4, I'm just going to read the first few verses. Um... Adam and Eve uh, have children, Cain and Abel, and verse 3, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. All right, so let's see what happened. We've got Cain and Abel. They've got their various things. They've each given an offering to God. And God is pleased and accepts one, 
and not the other. Just as a sideline, you can look at commentaries and you can wear yourselves out with people talking about why one was acceptable and the other was not. I have my own opinion, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, the point is God is the one that gets to choose what's acceptable and what's not. But look at the result. Cain became very angry and his, there's no telling what your translation says, his countenance fell. Hebrew is, his, Hebrew literally is his face fell. Okay, we do the same thing. Why the long face? Why the hangdog look? It's, it's what it is in Hebrew. And he had a hangdog look. And so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why the long face? If you do well, will you not be lifted up? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. What's God doing? God's wanting Cain to think about what's going on in his mind and in his heart. He wants to be thinking about, why are you angry? Well, as we're in the context, I'm not going to take a long time to, to hash this out, but I'm just going to draw the con, uh, conclusions here that what Cain wanted was he wanted to just decide how he was going to worship God and how whatever it is he was going to offer, and God's job was to be happy with it. And Cain was angry that that's not what he got. Cain is angry that what God wants in the form of worship is not what Cain wanted to give. And Cain got angry about it. But look at his response. Cain told his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now, again, we're not going to spend time analyzing here. We'll cover this more when we look at the James 3 and 4. But what's going on here is Cain is not happy because he didn't get to call the shots and he did not want God to. And Cain didn't get what he wanted. So what did he do? He got mad and threw a tantrum, but what did he do to God? How do you hurt God? So who did he hurt instead? The person he was jealous of. He was What he did was he hurt the person that got what he wanted but didn't get. That will be more clear when we look at James. We're just going to leave that now uh, other than to say this can take all kinds of forms. I, You know, I fly back and forth to Papua New Guinea, and in about three weeks I'll be traveling to Papua New Guinea again. And uh, I'll, it's, it takes me four different flights through three different countries. And I know what's going to happen. What I want to happen when I get on that long flight to Australia is I want people to get on the plane in order when their row seats are called. And I want, I want their carry-on luggage to meet the standards. And, and I want them to put their big one in the overhead and the small one under the seat under them. But you know what? I'm not going to get what I want. I know that. I'm going to get on the plane. There's going to be people pulling all kinds of stuff, thinking they're clever, to get on ahead of everybody else, fill the overhead bins with all their stuff, and I'm going to jam in my seat, and I'm going to sit in that seat for 17 hours going to Sydney, Australia, being mad because I didn't get what I wanted. And the Lord's going to say, David, you are this close. You better be careful what comes out of your mouth when you're sitting there stewing at all the other passengers. Now, in a way, that's a funny story and sounds like a small thing. But when I read the Scripture, from that on up, God does not think it's a small thing. If you call your brother an idiot just because you're mad, that's like murder. God takes that seriously. Well, God not only shows us these things through stories and all through especially the Old Testament then also in the New Testament and Jesus tells parable after parable after parable that this is the point. Uh, plus he talks to people. God also explains it to us. Let's turn to James and we're just going to blow through this right quickly. 
you could just nearly picture any page. You could just at random pick any page in the Bible. And somewhere in there, what God is teaching us is going to relate to this. What we're going to see again is is God is going to teach us about why we sin. In this case, rather than give an illustration, he's going to just actually explain what's going on inside. And again, he kind of focuses in one place on when we sin to try to get something. And on the other hand, when we sin because we didn't get what we wanted. Um, So first, let's look in James chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. But let's kind of set this up in the context. We tend to think of James as largely addressing the issue of trials. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials. And throughout the book, nearly everything he talks about kind of relates to trials, mostly economic, socioeconomic. Either you're short because you don't have money or all the social conflicts that develop. Um, But what he's doing in chapter 1 is he's talking about when we're in trials and difficult circumstances, that can be a test and a temptation because we can end up being tempted if we're in a difficult situation. We might be tempted to, if we can't find some other way, we might be tempted to take some sinful route to try to get relief from our suffering. If you think about it, we tend to think of temptation as, well, tempted to pursue some pleasure. Um, But temptation is really the same thing, isn't it? If I'm wanting comfort and relief from suffering, that's really the same thing if I want it so bad that I'm willing to sin to get it. So let's pick it up in verse 13. James 1.13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God can't be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, here it is, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by that woman, by the fruit in that tree, by, if I just fudge a little bit in this business, I have more money and can pay my bills. What do we, we want to point at something outside, don't we? What does God point at? God says, you're tempted when you're um, carried away and enticed by your own lust. That Greek word is sometimes used both positive and negative. It's just a strong desire for something. And then when that strong desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. What is he describing? Think about Eve. What was her desire? Think about this. Satan did not throw Eve to the ground, pin her to the ground, and jam that fruit in her mouth. Eve, by choice willingly took that and ate it. Why? Because she decided inside that that's what she wanted. Well, how did she decide that? She thought about it. She kind of weighed the pros and cons. And as she weighed the pros and cons in her mind, Satan's pros and her pros kept growing. And what God said about it kept shrinking. And so those desires inside her heart were shaped by lies. She was believing lies, and based on those lies, she was deciding that's desirable. And that's what James, uh, the Lord had James explain to us here. It's when those desires in us, that's what pull us. You know, this table could be covered with Reese's peanut butter cup things, and I would not be tempted to eat one at all. Some of you would be, but I wouldn't because I think they're nasty. (laughs) I don't like them. Some of you, you just, you'd be drooling. You couldn't wait to get up here. You might even get up here in the middle of the message, grab some of them, 
Because you desire them. Why? Is But it's the same stuff. It's just, I don't want it and you do. What's the difference? It's what's in your heart. Do you regard that as desirable or not? And all through Scripture, God is wanting to show us, I want to tell you what's desirable. And I want to be the one that shows you what will kill you. That will kill you. And we're thinking, I don't know. Looks pretty good to me. And God says, it'll kill you. What's going on in here? That's where God wants us to look. God, that's the point here when God says, uh, James continues in verse 16 and 17. He says, don't be deceived like Satan did with Eve. Don't be deceived. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of his first fruits from his creatures. Every good gift comes from God. If you have to sin to get it, it's not a good gift. That's the point of the passage. You know, it's so easy to think of sin. When I was a kid, I thought of sin as just up here on the surface, breaking a rule. And God is saying, look at your heart. Why do you want that? Why do you think I'm holding out on you? Trust me, that'll kill you. Well, James also goes on and he talks about sinning when we don't get what we want. Okay, this is the Cain part of this side of the equation here. Sinning when we don't get what we want. We're going to look at the end of chapter 3 and beginning of chapter 4. And again, setting this up, James now is talking about the tongue. This is all that part about the tongue being a fire and all the damage it can do. And we can tame, we can tame all the animals of the world, but we can't tame the tongue. What in the world is he talking about? What he's talking about is the kind of things that come out of us when we're under pressure and we're in trials. Again, he's talking about trials and suffering, hardship. And when we're, basically when we're feeling abused and God's not taking care of us and I got the short end of the stick and there's all kinds of rubbish comes out. And he's warning us about that. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Who am, in chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Now, what he's going to do, he's going to start contrasting um, gentleness and peace with um, bitter, uh, jealousy and uh, selfishness and disorder. Uh, the one that has wisdom, his good behavior, deeds, and gentleness of wisdom, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's all this stuff that was going ahead about our talk causing fire. There's disorder, there's chaos, there's disunity. But wisdom from above, from God, that is what he says is pure. And look what it produces. It's peaceable, gentle, reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering. It's not hypocritical. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. <laughs> Who'd like some peace? Whew. How many times you say... We got seven grandkids. I want some peace. Let's go to chapter four. Now, I, every time I'm up here, I'm getting where I say it. Every time I'm in the pulpit, get your white out and white out the chapter break between three and four. What does he say? What is the source of these quarrels and conflicts among you? Okay, this jealousy, this disorder, this bad talk. Where's all this stuff coming from? Look what he says. Isn't the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You have these desires, lust or strong desire. You have this lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. 
You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. In other words, you feel like you don't have what you deserve, and not only are you sore about that, but I'm sore that they do have it. I'm stuck in this wheelchair, and he's out there playing tennis. I'm sitting at home alone, and they're in a happy marriage. My, ch- my children are in jail. His children are in college getting awards. His business is booming. And I can't pay my bills. He's got a lot of respect at church. Nobody knows my name. Well, sometimes... You don't have, he continues, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I realize this is exactly the place where I got in trouble last week. I don't want to make the mistake of making this sound like I'm saying that if you have faith and ask with right motives, you'll have all those things. What I'm saying that God is warning us about is whatever lot the Lord has chosen to give you or me at this time, we need to be willing to be content with that and not be envious if God has decided at this time to deal someone else a different hand. Verse 4, You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What he's saying is, if I'm going to decide whether I've got what I need to make me happy based on worldly things and comparing myself to other people instead of what God has chosen for me at this time, then the world is my friend and not God. That is what God is teaching us. Through James, there, all of us at various times and for different ones, it will be different things. What difficulties God puts in your life will be diff- different from mine. Uh, some things that you find to be a struggle won't bother me, and vice versa. There'll be some things that, when I'm living in Papua New Guinea, we don't have air conditioning. That doesn't bother me that much. That might be hard on some of y'all. You know, we all have our different things, but we need to realize. That God gives good gifts. And whatever situation He's chosen to put us in, and James is writing this letter because most of the people reading this letter are having a tough time. And he's saying, God's not being mean to you. And you need to be careful not to be envious of others that appear to be in a more comfortable situation. Well, there's a reason why God wants us to understand these things that are going on in our heart when we sin. He wants us to think about the part that Eve left out. He wants us to think about why are we pursuing these sinful activities. Now, on the back page of your bulletin insert, all we're doing is introducing. Um, There are many passages where the Lord shows us why He wants us to to understand this and it has to do with how he is transforming us to be more like his son i think about this all the time in fact keith and i were pastor keith and i were talking about this just last week when god saves us he could have just done that and made us perfect where we sin no more and we're just like jesus now but for whatever reason god has decided that it is better and it glorifies him that that process of us becoming like His Son will not be complete till we're with Him in heaven. Between our salvation and then, it's a daily need to trust God, to guide us, to teach us, and empower us by His Holy Spirit to behave more and more like Him. God is the one who chose to do that. And one of the places where He discusses that process is in the middle of Ephesians. And if in the back... um, of your bulletin. I'm just going to read those verses from Ephesians 4. It says, 
You, he's talking about Christians, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. Now, here it is. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, that is the way you were acting as an unbeliever, put that off, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That's what we've been talking about all morning. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, I kind of made sort of an outline looking thing and you can, I'll give you homework. You can study that at home and you can look at that and decide whether you think what I did is accurate. But if you look kind of in the middle of that, there's two parts where I, there's arrows that come from we do these. See the little arrows? This is what God tells us to do. We're actually supposed to do this. He tells us that we're supposed to lay aside the old self, when we, the way we behave like unbelievers. We're supposed to lay that aside. And what we're supposed to do is put on the new self. In the rest of Ephesians, we know he's talking about put on the new self with the new thinking, new desires and behavior that are like Jesus' thoughts and desires. Well, how does that happen? You notice he tells us that our old self, with its thinking and desires and behavior, what's happening to it? It's being corrupted in accordance with deceitful lusts. Okay, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. Page 2 of the Bible, God starts teaching this. That's deceitful lusts. And that's corrupting the old self. But we're supposed to put that off. And we're put on the new self. Now here's the part. Where does this new self come from? Paul tells us it's being renewed in the spirit of the mind. Our mind and attitudes, the things we desire, the things we believe, those things are being changed. Paul doesn't say in this verse, but how are those things being changed? God is doing it. God has given us information in His Word, but there's a supernatural power, the Holy Spirit, that's actually changing something inside us. The way we think and evaluate things, the way we decide whether that fruit's desirable or not, God is actually changing that. Now, God tells us a lot about what's going on inside our sinful thinking. He tells us almost nothing about how the Holy Spirit changes us inside. Because we don't need to know that. That's God's job. He'll handle that. Our job is to trust that He's doing it. As we listen His Word and depend on His power to change our hearts, He will do it. Also on the back of your bulletin, you'll see a little diagram here. You've seen this a bunch of times. I've... I've used this for years. I use it in Papua New Guinea. Uh, you'll see various versions of this in the Christian counseling seminars. But the whole point of this is this is what's taught in the Bible. Up here on the surface is me and what I'm doing, what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Below that dashed line is all of this stuff under here that Eve did not want to talk about. And that is, why am I saying what I'm saying? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And it all comes out of what we actually believe and how we evaluate what's good and what's desirable. And as we start thinking about what we think is desirable, then we start having these emotional attachments to them and, and start having these emotional reactions, you know, of really wanting something or, or if we don't get it, getting really angry. Or if we do get it, being very happy. All of that's happening long before we actually act and speak. And this is where God is working on us. And He says, I want you to understand this is where I'm working. I'd like to pitch this biblical counseling conference that's coming up. Uh, most of you are familiar with it. For those that you might be visiting, um, there's a three-weekend conference coming up that we do we and another church in Fort Worth we take turns and we do these every year and on the one hand it's sort of shaped to train people to become certified biblical counselors 
But really, this is for any believer. Because the thrust of that counseling conference is just for your own help in your own spiritual growth and also how you help might help just people you're in contact with in your family, work, friends, your neighbors, uh, people that you play golf with. How do we deal with these things? And the counseling conference is just going over what does God say about this and helping us see what the scriptures say about this, and more importantly, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you again that you've not left us in the dark. Lord, it's painful to see. Lord, we've so many times been like Eve and we've wanted to shy away from addressing why we've done the things we've done. We want to just blame it on our circumstances and not on our lack of trust in you. Lord, also, I confess often just struggling with being angry because I don't get what I want. Lord, many of the things I want, they are good. But in your wisdom, you are continuing to allow a lot of disruption and sin in the world. And and you know you're correcting things on your timetable. Lord, help me trust you as you deal with sin uh, your way on your timetable. Help me to trust you. Help me with my anger. Lord, I pray for the counseling conference coming up that there will be many who come, even if they're not desiring to be certified, simply to help um, help see what you teach about how we can understand what, uh, what you've taught us in your word and how we can respond. Lord, thank you for the joy that even in a fallen world, even now we can enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness that we can enjoy a comfort and peace and tranquility even in the midst of the noise and the chaos. Thank you that we can enjoy being purified when we do stumble in sin and have anxiety. Just day after day we can enjoy as we confess and are cleansed by you that you give us a peace and rest. Lord, we thank you for that. And uh, we thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.